Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CSKA Moscow podcast. Excited to talk Kirill Kaprasov. Uh, actually, no, just wanted to throw some shade at our, our friends up in Minnesota. This is, of course, stargazing. We're we're here to get through the offseason. Two-man booth tonight. Tyler has joined me, and uh, Tyler, how's it going? Going pretty well. Not much to complain about, except that uh, hockey is still months away. Many, many months. This is this is always the time when it feels like it's just you just forget what it is. <laughs> it's just it, it's almost like it's almost not. Um, what's the word? It's it's not even it, it's not even a concept right now. Hockey. But what's a puck? What's you know, a puck? That's, that's the thing that they hold in their hands and swing around, right? <laughs> I believe so. Yes, it was. It was one of the events in the Summer Olympics. I'm, I'm very certain I saw it at three. Oh, that's right. On USA, CNBC. Got, USA got silver. <laughs> that's right. USA got silver. Oh man! But it is. You know, there there are a couple of things going on. Nothing. I'd say nothing actively going on, but things are percolating. Right. Some some stuff is 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 on the horizon. And in the spirit of you know the next couple of weeks, we get to the off season. We're not just going to not talk. Right. There's there is plenty going on. So we're going to focus on some positional battles. We're going to look at the Stars roster and how it might shape up as we uh, approach the season where kind of where we're, we, the, the discerning eyes, right? The people that really know what they're talking about, the the ones with the, the fingers on the pulse, where we're going to be watching once, once pucks start dropping. And then we'll, we'll talk, we'll have a little bit of fun too. We're going to talk uh, about some of our, our, the moments that, that brought us here, that, that made us the fans that we are. So it should be, I, I think it'll be, you know what? They always say it should be a good show. should be a great podcast. That's not going to suck. That's where we're putting the bar tonight. It's not going to suck. Uh, if you set the bar low enough, you can't be disappointed. That's right. AKA the, the, the Ken Hitchcock second second phase era. Oh, oh God. Uh, <laughs> let's not get into that. <laughs> oh, man. Just really, really trotting out the, the A plus summer material. But diving, diving right in, we're going to start with, you know, we, we were talking in the pre call about there are a number of questions in the Dallas Stars rosters who roll into the season and number of critical battles shaping up and and none none is more spirited or anticipates to be more spirited or more pivotal to the Stars' success in the immediate term. Of course, talking about the third defensive pairing is is where you decided to, <laughs> to kick things off. Tyler, want to want to walk us through what what how the synapses coalesce to trigger that one. Uh, all right. Well, when uh, when we were doing a pre-talk and just talking about uh, different positional battles, you know, the first one that comes to mind is that, you know, Dallas is pretty much set on defense for the most part about who their uh, players are going to be. There's talk about, you know, between, you know, do they keep with Lindell Klingberg and pair Suter with Haskinen, or do they maybe, you know, put Suter with uh Klingberg and give Lindell a scan like all this talk and then you know on your uh third pairing they just uh added from uh Carolina hockey pocket <laughs> hockey yeah there we go don't worry so, I, I sounds, like hockey, sounds like hockey puck, so. expert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so it seems like you know those are five you know solid players that it's like okay they're how they kind of coalesce is going to be one thing but when it comes to that sixth position, that to me is a bit more interesting because, you know, very few times you go into like heading into training camp or something and it's like, all right, there's this 
one spot that people are going to fight out for and that's it you know typically there's more fluidity to the uh, whole situation so i that, that's just what came to mind first no i i like it and, and part of why i like it is because it is as you as you say that it, it's an open spot but it's also in, in a lot of ways i think it could wind up as a bellwether for the entire defense right because to your point the the top four top five really is is pretty set right miro and essa and john and ryan right those those are the big names and then you you probably don't go out and trade for you know johnny hockey puck if you're not going to play him at least a little bit right so okay but you've got this one spot left right you've got that third pairing and it's to me it's not just about who plays on the third pair in isolation right but it's you're likely going to craft that third pair based on what you feel you have in the other two right are you looking for you know do you want a shutdown unit do you want you know a unit that right what's the role and it goes beyond just saying all right who are the two best players for this spot for that third pairing you're really looking at what do we think the other two groups give us that we need to augment with this final you know final spot yeah it definitely ties into what their identity is sort of going for what they want for that different their defensive pair you know because i mean you can go with a all right these are they've done in the past like you know the third defensive pair is kind of like our you know not like shut down or like checking like pairing but like those are the guys that are going to go out there and eat up some tough minutes you know you can say hey we want all of our pairings to have you know a fluid puck mover to go into the transitional game i mean and then you can also just say you know look we have four stellar uh, top four defensemen uh including like two number ones and klingberg and haskinen you know let's just roll those two pairings as much as we can and then the third pairing is really just there to get some fresh legs and get some breaks in there so it's they really have a lot of different options for a lot of different identities they can decide to go with this one uh pairing so let's let's start i, I love the i love the the idea of options i love how you frame that let's start with just refamiliarizing ourselves with the name so of course we we know who the top four are going to be in your mind tyler who do you see um as part of that competition for time on the third unit so uh, i think Hakapa, just being a, um, you know, they, they sign him in free agency for a reason. Like you said, they, he's a right shot. I think he's probably solidly there as that, uh, as that fifth defenseman. And so I think it's really going to come down on the left side to the two big names are Andre Sakara, who's returning and brings that, you know, He's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. He's already been on the team. He knows the system and everything like that. And then the other big name to me is Thomas Harley, who is the the young guy, would be the, um, the puck mover, uh, you know, was able to play in the HL last year because uh, OHL never actually went back, um, never had their season due to uh, COVID. And so he has some actually professional experience under his belt now. And I think he's going to be that other main person going there. And then you have people like, you know, you have Joel Hanley or some of the other free agency signings they made. But um, to me, those all seem to be more depth injury insurance pieces. I mean, I think for me, that battle is going to come down between those two players. 
Yeah, I think I think you're right. So, you know, talking just briefly about Hockenpah, I think the thing about him that stands out, of course, is size, right? 6'5", 218 pounds. That is relative to the Dallas Stars defense, a, a unique thing. And, you know, you you hear a lot. This is something we've brought up on the podcast before because it's come up from Stars coaches before. They have traditionally, and they are by far, far not alone in the NHL and thinking so. And, and a lot of stuff says they're probably right about it, but there's, there's this philosophy that you need one guy that can stop a cycle and the, you know, stop a cycle by just leaning on somebody against the boards. Right. And when you look at the composition of the Dallas stars defense, they've got specialists in other areas. They've got certainly players that are, are stellar and fantastic and all those wonderful things. But Hockenpah brings brings an element of size that just it doesn't exist really anywhere else within the NHL level organization. So I think when we think about the third pair, it seems fairly likely that, you know, you're going to want him in the lineup more often than not, just because if you don't have him in the lineup, you don't have anybody like him in the lineup. And that's that's a problem. It kind of you're creating a hole. So I, I do see the the battle brewing elsewhere and right. You've got Sakara who's got that veteran, you know, security blanket status. He has played, you know, injuries have been an issue uh, historically. So, you know, you've got him Hanley has, has kind of traditionally been that, that, you know, popping in and out of the lineup guy, you kind of heat him up, get some, get some quality time and then, and then move on to the next option. And then Harley, of course. So let's let's address kind of each a little bit in their own right. In your mind, what do you see as like why why would you pick Sekera in that situation? I think Sekera is kind of that. Like you said, there, there's injuries concern, but as far as like what you're expecting for a typical lineup, I mean, when if you're if I'm the Stars coaching staff, if I'm Rick Bonus, like I know what I'm gonna get. From Andre Sekera. I know exactly what type of player I'm getting. I know how he's going to do out there on the ice. I know that it's not going to be, um, you know, many of those, uh, not necessarily mistakes, but, you know, he, he is a veteran. He has that sort of experience with the game. It's, it's kind of, it's not only like the safer play, but it's also, you know, that more defensively sound game. If you're putting out that, third pairing which is obviously going to be your weakest pairing you know that to me is if you're looking all right we don't want to have concerns when we put our third pairing out on the ice we don't have to worry about uh, oh crap the buck's going the other way and you know we're possibly going to give up a goal or something like that and we have to rely on our goalie I mean that's he's I think who you go with if you're really trying to keep things uh, as tight as possible yeah, tight as possible. The other thing I would add is he seems like, and I'm putting on my my Jim Nill mustache of authority and tradition. And here. the glasses. And- <laughs> He's the guy that the NH- that that you're like your classic NHL coach is going to want, right? Because he's, he's been in the league before he knows what he's doing. He knows how to prepare himself day in and day out. Like there's, there's a lot of, uh, you don't have to maintain a player with his level of experience. Right. And then I think the other thing that, that if he's included, if, if your third pair is Hawk and Paw and Sekera, one, it's a, it's a fun little, little word, little, little sound game to play Hawk and Paw, Sekera, right? That's, you could, you could make a pretty rad song out of it, but, um, <laughs> I think if you go that road, what you're really saying is that you anticipate maybe scaling back some of the penalty kill authority, some of the penalty kill time from from a player like Hayskinen, right? Maybe you envision Miro getting 
into the power play or, or wanting to give him, you know, less in, you know, less of those, those strict defensive minutes. Right. And you kind of envision having a guy like Sakura to soak up, um, soak up time with the extra man is, is kind of how I, in my mind, right. The way that you, the way that you get him into the lineup is, you know, to your point, right. By this point in his career, you know, exactly what you have, you know, exactly what you're going to get. You have a player that likely knows that too. Right. And there's just not going to be a lot of tension there. He's going to, he played 15 minutes last season. He'd probably play about the same this season, right. He'd do about the, you, you know what I mean? Like he's just, he's the guy you get if you want to keep that pairing in maintenance mode. Is that, do you think that's fair? Uh, no, I think that's fair. I mean, it's, it's what you it's like you said, it's like what coaches the type of player that they want. Like there's nothing that brings uh, coaches more comfort than something that is consistent and solid and they know what to expect from, you know, they don't like surprises. They like to know, Oh, I'm going to put out this checking line against this uh, top four group and they're going to be able to stop them and do a good job. I'm going to put out, you know, this player and I know exactly what I'm going to get from them. And I think that's, you know, kind of that appeal. It's, it's not, it's safe, but it's also, you know, I mean, safe isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you need that kind of consistency. You need that, especially with, you know, several changes to the defensive core. I mean, with uh, Alexiak leaving, Suter arriving, you know, Occupy coming up, it's like, it it is nice to have that option of, all right, we're going to keep things at least know mostly the same and minimize all those changes yeah that and and i think as well there's it it would it would also tell you that there's this kind of sweeping realization right that in in the other four defensemen right and and klingberg haskinen lindell and Suter, you've got players that are and, and you've got players that are used to playing a lot right and so i think that the other bit that and I don't even know if this is if this is exclusive to Secker. You could say this just about the third pairing in general. I think we could also see a trend line this year that sees Dallas lean much more heavily on that top four, right? Almost instead of treating it like a, a first pair and a second pair, almost treating it like two two first pairings, right? Like just kind of play the old the old um, Anaheim game and just make sure that one of those two pairs is out there pretty much all the time, right? So I could see kind of a further you could erode. You know, the, I could see nights when the stars don't take a lot of penalties, maybe when Radulov is getting a break, but um, nights when they don't take a lot of penalties, you could see that the ice time for that third pairing really drop down when you're, you know, if, if Suter's feeling it and, and Klingberg and, you know, if the, that top four is really going, they're going to play a lot. And the way that that third pair looks like right now is you don't, you don't necessarily have to worry about force feeding ice time to anyone in that group. And with a player like Sakura, at this stage in his career, you can probably get away with, you know, hey, you you played 12 minutes tonight, right? We didn't we didn't need you on special teams. Things were going well, or, or you know, the top pairs were feeling it. And at at this stage, like that's probably not. It's certainly not going to be a developmental issue, right? But it's it, there's there's not a lot of complexity there. He's going to play what you want him to play, and that's that's sort of that. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see, or I think we're going to see a lot of. 25 plus minute nights from our defensemen on the stat sheets from, you know, those top four players and, you know, kind of harking back to what we were mentioning earlier, you know, if your concern with Sekra potentially is, um, he has, you know, he's getting up there, he's had injuries, you know, what if he gets hurt and stuff like that? I mean, if you're playing him limited minutes and you're saying, Hey, you're just going to be out here for 
12 minutes tonight, then I mean, the less the less time you're out that he's out there, you know, the less wear and tear he's going to be under. Um, you know, it's going to just kind of it helps alleviate that concern as well, just slightly. Yeah, it does. And and honestly, to segue, I think you get a lot of the same argument when you're talking about Joel Hanley, right? There's not that same. I, I don't think he I think it's fair to say that he's never been in as prominent a role on a team as Sekera has in his history. But again, with Hanley, you've got a guy that's comfortable playing in and out, you know, kind of jumping in and out of the lineup, playing a guy that's not going to you, you're you're not worried about his, you know, his developmental curve and, and whether or not he needs the minutes, right? This is a guy that you've been comfortable with in the past, kind of popping in and out of the lineup, the, the known quantity thing. So I, really, I, I see a lot of, of similarities in that, you know, maybe this, you know, I, I could see Secker and Hanley being very similarly regarded, even if it's not necessarily in terms of the style they play, but in terms of, of the, the amount that they would play. Yeah, I think Hanley would serve well as that, you know, seventh or or eighth defenseman knowing the stars. But, you know, I definitely see him as the guy who it's, all right, someone's hurt or it's needing, um, you know, Secker is needing a break tonight or something like that. Like, you know, we're able to just, um, we're, we're going to plug in Hanley. And like you said, it's not necessarily that, oh, they're, the styles are the same. Nothing will really change. It's just, you know, you can count on Hanley to, you know, fill that void. And, and maybe that's one of those nights where you do like just give more leeway and give more minutes to uh, the top four and stuff like that. But I mean, I think he's that he's probably not, he's not going to be that guy who's, you know, playing 82 games. who's a constant fixture in your lineup, but he's definitely the guy who will get, you know, I mean, you could put him in, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 games or something like that as, as needed. And, turn out just fine i think yeah and i think in a way that almost works against him right because unfortunately in, in the context of playing every single night unfortunately for hanley he's demonstrated he can kind of pop back at you know, he can pop in and out and and handle that so one of the things i see kind of working against him when it comes to securing that everyday spot in the lineup is i think at the end of the day the coaches know that if if they want to take if they want to give Secker a longer look right if, if there's a specific thing that they're trying to do that doesn't necessarily include hanley he's the guy you look at and say well yeah he can sit for a week and you know you can you can go back to him i think is is you know it's a testament to his ability to kind of meld and fit and, and produce or and, and contribute but it's also a sign of kind of the we're, we're talking about the, you know, the sixth defenseman spot and that's, that's kind of what you get. Right. So, you know, if, if it's between the two of them, I could certainly see Sekra getting the first look because he is the veteran. He does have the track record and you're maybe a little bit more worried about him being able to kind of warm it up coming in and out of the lineup versus Hanley has a history of doing exactly that. So if it's, if it's just the two of them we're talking about, I absolutely see it as this mentality of, yeah, Sekra is sort of the primary with the idea that Hanley will spell when, you know, health or, or performance or even schedule, right. Might call for it. They, you know, Sekra just might need to break from here to there. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, like, like I said, it really does in, no favors. I mean, and it's probably just kind of, you know, the reality of the situation, you know, just like how Sakara knows and his, um, where he is at his end his career. Um, he plays 12 minutes a night, he plays 12 minutes a night. I think Hanley probably, you know, yes, he would like to be a main fixture in the lineup, but I mean, 
it is what it is. And I think still being there at that initial level, I mean, and be able to pop in from time to time. I mean, that, that's where he's going to get at any team in the NHL, I think. I don't think there's a team out there where he's going to be, yeah, we're going to put this guy in the lineup every night. So, Which I think, and, and we've talked kind of around it a little bit, I think that brings us to, there is there is one wild card in the bunch, and, and you mentioned his name, and of course it's everybody's favorite, um, everybody's favorite prospect, uh, Thomas Harley. And first off, wanting to start with, you know, before we get into to where and how he might fit, how realistic, in your opinion, is it that he would be a legitimate consideration for a regular roster spot this season? So, so there's a there's two thoughts process I have to this. The, the first is that it's the by adding who they did in free agency, it, it seems very much like a you know as we talked about like oh Sakara is the sixth guy, Hanley's the seventh to spell him. You know, typically you don't want to carry eight defensemen. Harley is waivers eligible. It seems like a very clear case of, you know, Harley's just going to be in the AHL, you know, just like they signed a, a bunch of forwards to maybe push some of the, um, uh, some of the other, the forward prospects, you know, keeping them in the AHL or signing Colby, potentially putting Ottinger back in the AHL. I mean, so on one hand, it feels very much like, all right, they're going in all in on the veteran and the um, experience aspect of things for this uh, push for the cup run. But on the other hand, on the more optimistic side, if you think about it, when you're looking at the, okay, yes, you have these top four defensemen who can eat up a lot of minutes and can play a lot of difficult situations. And then your fifth guy, one of the people who's going to be made sound your pairings uh, is Hunkva, who is, you know, very strong defensively. He's at, you know, he's a big guy. You can rely on him to, you know, help keep the puck out of your own net, that defensive presence. It it almost seems like, yeah, if Harley can impress the coaches in training camp, I mean, that could work out really well of be able to, you know, you wouldn't have to put him in difficult minutes or difficult situations. Um, he would have a, you know, steady defensive partner, um, who could, you know, if he makes a mistake, he could bail him out and stuff like that. So the optimistic side is actually there is a very clear spot for Harley in the lineup that he could actually do really well at. And so it's kind of, to me, a matter of, well, which way are the coaches staffs leaning or are they just going to you know, see how it turns out in training camp? I think I love that you started with with uh, the overall kind of construction of the team because I think you're you're bang on right. The case for bringing Harley into the lineup is that with this defensive unit, the way that it's structured, you can afford growing pains, right? This isn't a team that's going to be looking down the bench at Thomas Harley and thinking, oh man, if he, if if this kid doesn't do something tonight, we're we're doomed, right? So I think from a from a you know, growing pains perspective. Yeah, you can slot him in. He's going to have a big partner that can look out for him a little bit. He's going to have, you know, an experienced partner, no matter who it is, right? Somebody that's that's much older that can kind of guide him through. And and maybe you want to see him get that that NHL level experience, right? Actually, see what you know, see how the the players maintain and grow and and kind of develop their game. So you could you can talk me into the fact that the roster could accommodate Harley without, you know, the body, he's not going to, he's not, if if it's too early, right. And if he's not ready and if there's, if there are growing pains, that's not going to be the reason Dallas misses the, you know, misses the postseason. So there's very much a case for, 
yeah, there, there's a spot here for this kid. And if, and, and we can sort of nurture, watch him grow into that lineup and the coaches may, may choose to nurture him along. And I think for me, the reason that you would do that is unlike the other two names we've talked about, you know, there's the age thing, but there's also, you know, Harley projects at a different level, right? He is viewed as an elite puck mover. He is viewed as as a player that can contribute offensively at a, you know, at a high level in the NHL. And so, you know, maybe maybe the decision there is, you know, we want this kid to start getting reps in the bigs. And we can, as you said, right, judiciously use his ice time and put him in positions where he's attacking, where he's, you know, potentially on the power play, where he's, you know, doing the things that we envision him doing long term, while maybe giving him a little bit more time to fill out physically, to learn coverages, right, not having to jump into those tough minutes, you know, working, working against Nathan McKinnon in the defensive zone all the time. And he won't necessarily have to get that um, on his resume quite yet. But yeah. I ask you, sorry, please. Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, I think he hit the, the nail on the head that, you know, I, I think earlier this offseason, I think it was an interview with uh, Mike Aka. I think Bona said, oh, we're not looking to you know, we're not, we don't, we're not going to develop people. Like that's, we're not, that's not our goal here is we're going to put in someone and trying to get them to develop properly. Like, you know, we're here to, you know, win hockey games and put our um, team in the best position to succeed, you know? And so you think in that, right. Oh, well, Harley will have growing pains or stuff like that. But I, I think you, you spoke really well that like what Harley brings both as far as his current abilities as a puck mover, you know, and, and his ceiling, you know, if you take that time and you say, okay, if we put Harley on this roster, we get a puck mover on every pairing, which is something that, you know, the staff has at least said that they value highly. It's something that they it's said. It's a modern big, NHL, right? Yeah, it's something that they said outright was a big part of, you know, their game plan going into that cup run after the, uh, during the pause before the bubble was trying to activate their defensemen more, you know? And so to me, it's like, all right, like, that's a, a way we want to go. Harley's our best suited for it. You know, and if we start him now, and if we kind of just go in from, if he doesn't, you know, fizzle on training camp, if he looks strong, he looks good. Then, you know, if you play him in the lineup regularly, then by the time you actually get to the end of season and presumably, hopefully the playoffs, you know, he could be a very, you know, important part of the roster, just like how, you know, Jason Robertson was, or Henson Garyanov the years before that. I mean, he could definitely, there's a role that he can fulfill, and they have the liberty to try and make sure that he can excel at that. I mean, there, there's a world in which you you find, you know, there's a world in which Harley is picking up a critical power play point alongside someone like Ryan Suter, John Klingberg, Miro Haskin, right? There, there, that is not... That is not an insane scenario as things stand right now, right? You could probably put him into that slot on this team and expect positive play, right? I think what it comes down to and where I want to go next and, and ask you is, okay, so then what's the downside? Why why wouldn't you do that? Kind of, kind of what's working against him? I, so I think... It, it, it kind of goes back to what I talked about earlier, where it seems that this uh, the identity that the, of this team is clearly striving for for this season is definitely going in all in on the experience. I mean, they signed you know several vet veterans in 
you know, in the forward core to fill out the bottom line instead of saying, oh, well, we could have like an Adam Mastrin or someone to or Riley DMR any to. I mean, I'm take not that convinced that and, the I'm not convinced the Maverick Bork draft pick wasn't them thinking Ray Bork was coming back to the league. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> fits you know, the profile. <laughs> yeah, and then you get the uh, you know they not only pick up Hacky Bob, but they also picked out you know several you know borderline defensemen. I mean, they picked Holtby up. Do you, you know they're saying okay, we'll see how the goalie situation turns out. But I mean, they're very clearly to me the plan the, the kind of the offseason plan that Neil put forward with his additions is kind of building towards a very veteran heavy roster and saying okay we have all these players who are here from the cup run you know adding in Jason Robertson and these acquisitions you know let's go in kind of all in at that experience and then he, he, he doesn't make those moves unless he knows or that bonus is going to be on board with it you know, and so uh, to me, I think that's what's working against Harley and just that general, you know, coaches, you know, stigma of, oh, he's a rookie. He's going to make mistakes. Well, we want to minimize mistakes. We don't want to have time for that. It's not, even if it's on the third pairing, we don't want to put out our third pairing in position of weakness. You know, the NHL I, is I, a high floor, low ceiling league for yeah. sure. I mean, so that, that's where I'm kind of at it. Not necessarily like, oh, I mean, assuming he does well in training camp and assuming he's ready to take that step, I don't even necessarily think it's much that, you know, Harley would be control of. I think it's just that seems to me the identity that the stars are wanting to go up with this season for this kind of all chips in it just seems to not go against the idea of, hey, let's build up the young guy and see what he can accomplish. I, I would agree there. And the one thing I would add as well, and we talked about this a little bit with with um, Hanley is there's also his profile works against him a little bit, right? And so he he projects to be much more than a third pairing specialist, right? That's so far, that's what his performance has indicated. That's where they drafted. Like for for many, many reasons, you know, Thomas Harley is looked at as a kind of future cornerstone, right? Somebody that this team's really going to rely on. So you get into the situation where what is more value, you know, and yeah, if, if we're still having this conversation in three or four years, it's a major problem. But right now, right, he had one, one COVID strange season with the Texas Stars because the O didn't open back up, right? They really haven't had a look at him as a primary piece on a competitive team having to carry a meaningful burden right and so if i'm if i'm looking if i'm if i'm the organization right yeah they're going to they're going to make noise about you know that that you know they're not going to send him down just because he's a rookie and he can win the spot and they're they're saying all the right things and and i do believe that there is a level of performance that would be impossible to ignore and would get him on the roster but i think at the end of the day he's 20 he's a defenseman he's you know just completing his first somewhat professional season, right? I think that there is still value at this stage in his curve of saying like, you know what? And it's the Ottinger argument, right? Instead of having you be a, a piece of this roster here in the NHL, we would like for you to be the piece of the defensive unit down in Cedar Park, right? We want to put you on the first power play. We, you know, there's, there's something to be said for let's get this kid used to the feeling that, Hey, if you don't do something tonight, nobody else is going to. Whereas if he's in the NHL, he's, he's more of a nice to have, right? It's hey kid, go out there and see what you can do. Right. And there, there may be at this stage, 
more value both as him for him developing and also as the team evaluating. They may frankly just want to get a look at how he responds. Okay, you had a great season last year, kind of came out of, you know, came a little bit early, kind of came out of nowhere. Now it's the second time around. How are you going to how are you going to do when you're the, you know, the name and the number on the on the opposing chalkboard with a circle around it? Yeah, I mean I, I think he hit the nail on the head because uh, uh, I'm like Andrew, in my opinion, which we'll say for a different, <laughs> I was say, that's... different podcast. Uh, you're, if Harley ends up in the AHL, you know, I'm not going to throw rocks at the AAC and like, how could you like this is a travesty? You know, like you said, there is very there's good merit for his uh, development path to being in the AHL and being that guy there. And I think that's what they're kind of building towards is, you know, I think Mark talked about it a couple of uh, podcasts back, you know, it seems very much like they're building up like this AHL super team as kind of a side effect of, you know, loading up on this experience on the NHL level, you know? So I think like it, it is a very good path. And like, to, to me, it kind of boils down to, all right, just going to kind of see, you know, how Harley looks, in camp and maybe because of that you know aspect that hey it's probably it could very well be better for him to spend another uh year in the ahl you know maybe that bar that he'd have to reach in order to all right yeah you just have to be on the team you're just too good you know maybe that bar is higher than it otherwise would be say next year or something like that you know but there is that possibility. It seems like there's a nice carving for that he can uh, possibly seize. It, it's just going to, he's really going to have to uh, dazzle some lights or, you know, seize an opportunity through injury or something like that, you know, trade, mid-season. Trade. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> and kind of go forward and be like, oh, like give the coaches a reason why they can't send them back down. Yeah, I agree. So it's, it's I think, you know, I think, we, we're going to land with Sekra and Hanley in that last spot with Harley, hopefully having a prominent role in a very good, um, good Texas stars team. But, you know, that's why they have training camp and that's why we're all, you know, everything we're saying has a big question mark behind it at this stage in the summer. But um, wanted to close just just, you know, one of the things we've been talking about in, in kind of the group chats and and as we've moved along the offseason is, is our own kind of journeys into stars fandom. And, and one of the most interesting things to me talking to everybody is we all we all kind of got on at different points and for different reasons. So, uh, Tyler, I want to put you on the spot just a little bit and, and kind of close out today's podcast. But just asking and I'm not going to give you any it's not just like a I'm not going to ask you to put them in order or a certain number, but just talk a little bit about what are your sort of foundational moments of, of stars fandom? Like why, why are you here? <laughs> yeah. So I, it kind of boils down to at the end of the day, um, it was like growing up, I went to stars games with my dad. Uh, he was a hockey fan growing up. Like he was like turning on ESPN and seeing the Islanders dynasty, you know, steamrolling everyone those years. And so, uh, miracle on ice watching them play and be like oh that's how he kind of got in and so when i was, and I was gonna say uh, frame it frame it for us very quickly so when you talk about going to stars games growing up who was who was the captain of the team like what was what was that roster what was that first group you really latched on to you you experienced yeah so yeah so starting with my so basically i was starting to go to games and seeing games you know in the uh, post cup years, you know, when it was, you know, I first turned my first Jersey was Jason Arnett. It there was still go. like when uh, it was like <laughs> at the very end of the Mike Madonna captaincy and then going when they were giving it into Brendan Morrow. 
And then Mora was pretty much the, you know, the mainstay for a long time of, of going to games until finally, you know, Ben was there to kind of, you know, take the torch and then ushering in the victory green era. So and that's kind of where, where I was at, you know, it was, you know, how I got here basically and talking about this podcast and writing for DVD as whatnot is, you know, kind of going to those hockey games with my dad, you know, uh, all the time growing up and, you know, seeing a great shift in the team, you know, that's uh, over the years and the highs and the lows and everything in between. I was going to say, you, you sort of came on when they were sorting through the wreckage and it was a good a good entry point because it's been mostly an upward trajectory since since your first first phases. Yeah, well, yeah, you say that, but there's also the uh, the Brandon Worley curse of the no playoffs, and <laughs> that wasn't necessarily the funnest time. And uh, what were some of the so as you're going to those games, does anything stand out as some like in arena moments or, or things that that you you that that sort of stick in your mind? So I, there, oh, there's a, oh, there's a whole lot. I, I will, for brevity's sake, I'll pick just one. Um, one of the first, uh, for a little co- quick context, the first uh, playoffs I, I really watched, like not just the starters, or I watched, you know, kind of in general and followed them, was a uh, Tampa Bay Stanley Cup run in uh, in 2004 with uh, Brad Richards winning the um, uh, winning the Conn Smythe and everything. And so I remember I got to see with my dad Brad Richards' first game in Dallas, or first game overall with Dallas when they traded for him at the trade deadline. And that was also the night, same night that he tied, I think, the franchise record for most assists in the game or something like that. Like he the was Fabian Brunstrom night, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he just immediately came in and. Like I said, like my first at this point, like my first uh, jersey was a Jason Arnott jersey. It was way too small for me. I was already trying to think about who I wanted as like my next jersey and like watching that game and being like, oh, I remember Richards from the cup run. You know, this should probably work out. We'll see if how he integrates to the lineup and then, you know, just dominating from the get go. Like I turned to my dad. And I was like, all right, that I want his jersey for Christmas. <laughs> like that was I mean, that was I mean, this team does have a. a- it, it, not 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 a perfect history. Um, Pierre Turgeon intensifies, but this team does have a strange history of of pulling in, you know, kind of landing landing big fish players and having them, you know, produce. Frankly, like Richards, you know, uh, Richards done it. Pavelski, like there's there's a lot of Yager. examples of yeah, Yager. He he played he played not bad. Um, you know, Radulov brought him in as well. Like he's been good for the team. They, they've but it's it's I can I can remember. You know, I was I was remote by then, so I, I certainly didn't get to experience any of the the Brad Richards era in person. But I, I definitely remember that game vividly, and I remember at the time thinking, "All right, there's there's Brunstrom the scorer and Richards the table setter, and this is this is going to be a thing." And of course, it turned out to be half right. But <laughs> until the uh, until the cup run in the bubble, that was the closest, uh, the most playoff success that the Stars got for pretty good decent chunk on both sides i mean that right very long time so you mentioned that was one of them what was that what was the other oh uh i'd say another one was uh my kind of pairing but like uh all right i guess i'll just go with the one the one of the times my dad uh was able to get uh snacks someone gave them to him that he knew and was going to go to the game it was lower bowl seats 
to a San Jose Sharks game against the Stars. And this was, I think, the very last year in, um, in the old uh, black jersey era, or was it the very end? It was very much where Ben was one of the young guys on the team, and he was kind of – people knew he was going to be the next face of the franchise. And I remember at some point in the game, and I think it was the third period, that he squared off against Joe Thornton, who represented, you know, kind of the – he wasn't as old then as he is now, but he was still like – I mean, it was, it was Joe Thornton. And I remember they kind of were going at it, and everyone kind of cleared, and they're, they're in the middle of the ice, and they're just, like, slowly taking off their gloves, like, unbuckle their helmets and oh, whatnot. Oh, yeah, the, the stage they, fight, they, yeah. Yeah, and they grab each other by the jerseys, and they kind of give each other a look, like, are you ready for this? And then they just start beating the shit out of each other. And it was like, I, I think, like, my brother was watching from home, and I think afterwards people were like, oh, Thornton won the fight and everything like that. He beat Ben, but... you in the arena like at the end of the day what fights what they matter is how they impact the players and how they impact the fans and i mean from everyone here in the arena it felt like oh yeah like ben is you know picking up the torch and he stood his ground and he won and that you could feel the energy build from that and then feed into the team as a result it was just like and getting to see that, like, in the lower bowls and perfect view was, like, for someone who's used to being in the nosebleeds, uh, it was pretty great. I love it. That's fantastic. Those are, those are, it's, it's good to have, like, it is funny, like, the, the, the strange things where you get those, like, visceral connections to the team. So, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be talking a lot more about, um, more of those as, as we continue on through the summer, but oh gosh, man, I'm having Fabian Brunstrom flashbacks. So thank you for <laughs> he that. Was the ne- he was the next big thing. It was. <laughs> and it, for, there was a hot minute where it looked like it might be legit. <laughs> I know it was like, um, oh, now I'm blanking the game. It's like a, who he eventually traded to Ottawa. It's part of the Jason Spencer trade. Uh, I'm uh, trying Alex to- Chason. Yeah, it was like that. It was kind of like it was With just kind of like the allocation of that. It was like, oh man, like Brunstrom is going to be one of our big components going forward, and he's going to be, you know, one Sad. of those names you circle on the calendar. Like, yeah. all right, this is going to be a Brunstrom that night. So I was there when Brunstrom. Yeah, I remember Chason was unfortunately right when I was starting to get exposed to analytics. And that was the first moment when like stats really buzz killed me because Jason had that great season. And then in my, all I could think about was he was shooting like 26% or something insane. And I was, I was unfortunately just had, I, I, the wool had been pulled just enough over my eyes to think, yeah, this guy's probably not going to shoot nearly 30% for his career. There, there's, there may be some regression coming and, and yeah. find, yeah, find an NHL like, player, but <laughs> yeah, for me, it was like, all right, there's no way he's gonna, he's going to do this. But if he does, <laughs> does. Yeah, no. if he does, <laughs> if he does, so <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a good place. We we've gotten a chase and reference. We've gotten a Fabian Brunstrom reference. You want to, you want to work Patrick Stefan in there? Or should we call it a night? <laughs> uh, oh, I gotta go. I gotta run. Um, <laughs> we'll a thing. We'll I got a thing Got a place, uh, which of know. course, Stefan leads to Alice Hemsky and the whole the whole cycle of stars fandom is is sustained. Stefan is not an example of a veteran who came to Dallas and and uh, lit it up. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, we'll we'll put him in the bin with with Claude Lemieux and 
and some of the other some of the other but uh thank you as well thank you for the insights i the, the the last in closing we to to peel the curtain back a little bit we opened on the pre-call by talking we had a plan b because we were worried we'd get well what if we just get three or four minutes out of the third pairing what are we going <laughs> to do with the rest of the time and here we are 40 40 30 minutes, minutes later. <laughs> missing a zero there so Missing Azer. Well, it was it was a pleasure as always, Tyler. Uh, thank you, KT, mixing it all together. We're going to keep this thing going. So expect over the next couple of weeks, expect more positional battles, expect more favorite moments in fandom. It's a good excuse to uh, to hit us up on, on Twitter, either the DVD or look us up as individuals. If you've got your own moments and, and care to share as as we figure out what the heck to talk about until the inevitable march to glory in 2122. So thank Thank you, Tyler, and, and we'll speak soon.